Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, as Brian mentioned, we're starting a brand new series this week. Uh, It's our our New Year's series, and we're calling it Living Beyond Yourself. Um, And it's all about generous living. And I know some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute. We are in like the worst economic times that we have had. You know, you're starting to talk about money and generosity. You know, I'm just barely keeping it together. Here's why. Because I think now is when it's most needed. And I think the opportunities for God's people to make a difference, to step up to the plate and help and be generous and use what God has given to us to help other people, I think now's the time. If not now, when? When? Because here's what what I believe. I really do believe this. I believe most of us want to live generous lives. I believe that. I believe most people want to be generous. And I believe that for a number of reasons. When there is a natural disaster like an earthquake or a tsunami, the amount of money that just pours in from all around the country to help people in that tragedy. I, I, I see it just even in our own church, the responses we've had to things like nickels for nets, uh, to, to, above and beyond, to, to purchase mosquito nets for kids in, in uh, Uganda. Um, the response we had for Walk for Water. The response that we've had to, to the dollar club. I mean, I, I really do believe this. I believe it because we're created in the image of a generous God. And for that reason alone, I believe he created us to be generous. Being created in his image, a part of that is this spirit of generosity. That, that, that it just feels right. It feels good when we know that we've helped somebody else out. When we've been able to make a difference. And the reason it feels right and it feels good is because that's the way God created us. He is a generous God. Everything about him. It's his goodness and his generosity. Well, the most famous passage, the most famous sentence in all of Scripture probably is what? God so loved the world that he gave. Gave his only son. It's a generous God. And he's created us as generous people. And I just want you to imagine for a moment, just, just if, if the church worldwide, okay, but, but just starting right here, if Northgate Christian Fellowship, just with the track record and the things that we have done in the past, just think if we were to really take this generosity thing seriously, how many wells could be drilled? How many mosquito nets distributed? <laughs> How many orphans, widows could be cared for, fed, provided medical help in Uganda? How many people in our own church family, much less our own community here, could we actually touch lives and make a difference together? What an impact that could have. And what an impact it would have on us. That's the way God created us. And, and, and when we respond to that, it feels right. But here's the thing. Here's the thing I also believe about us. Because we are fallen human beings, there is also this natural resistance inside of us to generosity. And I know that because I are one. <laughs> 
on one hand, we, we long to be generous and we, and we want to be generous. And, and it feels good and right when we are generous. But there's also this thing inside of us that wants to hold on and clutch and, 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 and keep security about. And God knows that about us too. And that's why throughout Scripture, He gives us proddings and promptings and sometimes even pushes toward this idea of generosity. Because he knows that's what he created us to be. That's how he created us to live. Living a generous life is the best way to live. And he knows that. And to get us moving in that direction, he's done a number of things in a number of ways to get, make that happen. And in fact, if in, one cha- in pl- one place in Scripture, God actually laid down a challenge. Because he knew human nature. And it's found in Malachi chapter 3. If you want to follow along. And let me tell you, a lot of what God's been doing in my own heart in this area is based on two books that Tom Agam mentioned back in November when he was visiting us. The one is called The Hole in Our Gospel, where we have, we have made the gospel simply about getting into heaven instead of realizing the impact of bringing the kingdom of God down here on earth as well. And the other one is called 58, Living a Fast Life. And it's not fast in the way we usually talk about it. Living a life of sacrifice and fast so that we could end extreme poverty in our world. And the subtitle actually of the book is How the Church Will End Extreme Poverty in Our World. Not how the church can, how the church will. That's a challenge. And this, this Malachi is a prophet in the nation of Israel. And it, this comes at a time when the people of Israel are pretty discouraged. Um, they've suffered a lot and they're, 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 they're discouraged. They're wondering, where is God? And, and, and they're just kind of going through the motions. And that's where Malachi comes in and he steps up and he says, listen, folks, God's there. But there's a disconnect on our side. If you want to follow along, it's in Malachi which is in the Old Testament, for those of you who don't know. If you go, it's actually the last book in the Old Testament. So if you want to find the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, turn back a few pages, that's Malachi. Here's his words. And and he puts this in the terms of a dialogue. He's proclaiming God's word. Malachi 3, 7. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? doesn't answer the question prevents another one can a man rob god yet you rob me but you ask how do we rob you here's the answer in tithes and offerings you as a nation are under a curse the whole nation of you because you are robbing me bring the whole tithe to the storehouse that there may be food in my house and here's the challenge test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and your vines and your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now I realize... Talking about money is not an easy subject. And I also realize that you might be here and you've not made a commitment to God. And and I just would invite you to just follow along with me because the things that we're going to be talking about this morning, it it can help you too. I really do believe this. 
But particularly for those of us who say we are Christ followers, I think there are some important things here when it comes to this whole idea of living a generous life. And some of these things aren't going to be new, but I want to, I want to up the ante for you if they're not new for you to start thinking in, in an even greater way. And here's some things. How do you live a generous life? The very first one is this. You make giving a priority. If you want to live a generous life, you make giving a priority. Because generosity is not something we naturally drift into. In fact, our natural drift, like I said, because of that resistance thing inside of us, our natural drift is away from generosity. Though we know and it feels good and feels right when we do it, our natural drift still is away from that. And it's interesting that God starts this whole dialogue with the nation of Israel, not talking about money. He starts with something about distance and direction. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you ask, how are we, how are we to return? See, he defines the problem in terms of direction. In terms of position and distance. Because this is not really about money. Although money is a big part of it. But it's really a heart issue. He's saying you have drifted from me. And the evidence of it. Is the way you're handling your finances. Let me illustrate this a little bit better for you. Hope everybody can see this. Andy Stanley says there's basically five different ways we can use our money. We can spend it. We can use it to pay off debt. We use it to pay our country. (laughs) We can save it. And we can give it. And that's basically it. Those are the five basic ways we can use our finances. Now, what God says, and what Jesus, in fact, himself said in Matthew 6, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let me go back to this a little bit. Spend it. I hope I'll move around so you guys can see over here. Spend it is about... Me. Okay? Debt, well, that's the spending that I shouldn't have done, okay? (laughs) But that is also me. Now, the government comes along, and we could put that we, okay? (laughs) But it's still me to some degree. Saving? Again, it's me. And when you get down to giving, when you get down to giving, that's where it becomes God and others. And so when God says to the nation of Israel, listen, folks, return to me. What he's saying is this is your priorities. This is it's about me, me. We, which is also me, me, and then if there's anything left over, God and others. And he says, this is how you have drifted from me. Your life, you say, you say, you trust me. You say 
your life is my your life is in my hands. You say you want to follow me, but really, really, when you look at your heart, it's me, 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 me. Oh, and then you. And that's why he says, return to me, because you've drifted. You've drifted. And Malachi uses some pretty strong language. In God's terms, he says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you have robbed me. You ask, how are we robbing you? And he says, the answer, in your tithes and your offerings. What he's saying is, you have relegated me to your leftovers. And the truth of the matter is, when the priority goes here, there's very little left down here. Because not only are we spending, we are spending more than we have. And so now we're spending to pay for what we already broke and threw in the garbage. And we're still paying for it. See, that's what he's talking about. And what you need to understand when he talks about the tithe, we're going to talk about it a little bit more in a minute, but the tithe was simply one part of the whole economic system that God established for the nation of Israel. The tithe was just a part of it. And, and actually, there were three tithes. There was a tithe, the first tithe that went to the temple, to temple worship, to the support of the Levites and the priests because they had no portion of land in the nation of Israel. They didn't have their own fields to grow their own crops and, and barter and trade with. So the first tithe, first 10%, that went to the temple worship and all that was involved with that. But then there was also a second tithe that they were to set aside portion of their income, and then once a year, they had a sacred feast. And all that you had saved up, now you all brought together, and in your village and in your city, now we had a celebration of God's provision and God's goodness. And there was actually a third tithe, but that wasn't an annual one, that was an every third year, you were to bring an extra tithe, and that was strictly for the foreigners who live among you. For the widows and for the orphans, for the needy. Now, they, they got taken care of in those other two, but, but that third one was just specifically for that purpose. And that was only part of the system. There was part of what God did when he, when he brought them into the land of, of, of Israel. One of the things that he said to them, okay, now, when you, when you harvest your fields, you don't harvest to the very edge of your boundaries, you don't pick the trees completely bare. You don't pick the vines. You leave some so that the poor and needy can come and glean your fields. In fact, if you are harvesting and you, you, you somehow overlook a sheath, you leave it there because that's now for the foreigners and for the needy. In fact, listen to this. Part of their economic system was just every seven years, it was called the Sabbath year, and it was a complete canceling of all debt. Doesn't that sound great? <laughs> I'd go for that one. That meant whatever, whatever outstanding um, anybody owed anybody, at, at the Sabbath year, everybody was to cancel all debts and starts from scratch. And even better than that, even better than that, there was one other thing. And this was called the year of Jubilee. And it was the seventh of the seven times seven. It was the 50th year, basically. After seven Sabbath years, there's the 50th year. And this one was not only the canceling of all debts, 
But this was actually the giving back to the original owners any property that you and your family have bought over the last 50 years. It all goes back to square one. God did this for a reason. And in fact, when you see these commands that he, that he put there, he said over and over again, he says, this is why. He says, you, at the seventh year, you, you let go of all debts and you release all of your servants because you too were once servants. And you need to remember how I released you. And, and you cancel all debts because I want you to remember that I am the one who has given this to you. See, their whole economic system was designed by God to remind them, this land is not yours. Your stuff is not yours. It all comes from me as a gift. And you are to hold it loosely. And the tithe was just the regular annual way of reminding myself, this all came from God. And so that's why he says, you've robbed me. Because you've you've turned it upside down. Because this is the order in which most of us live. And you will never become a generous person if this is the priorities of your life. Generous living turns it upside down. And you make generosity and giving a priority. A second way is then determined to give proportionately. It's a percentage giving. This is the beauty. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is the beauty of God's plan because it's not a dollar amount. It's, it's, not a, a, it's not any kind of an amount. It's a percentage, which means anybody and everybody can do this. It doesn't matter how much you make because it's a percentage. And that's the way that he set it up. The tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Specifically, the tithe is a tenth part or 10%. That's the percentage. Okay? It's a tenth part. That's 10%. And I say that because sometimes we use the word tithe very loosely. You know, we, we, give, we put $10. We, we, we tithe our $10 or our $20 each week. Okay, now, twenty dollars would be ten percent if my income was. Okay, this is not a trick question. <laughs> twenty ten twenty dollars would be ten percent of my income if my income was two hundred dollars. There you go. So when when he's talking about the tithe, he's not talking about what he's saying. It's a percentage. It's a percentage. Now. If your income is $200 a week, $20 is a tithe. But if it's more than that, that is not a tithe. You might be giving, but it's not a tithe. Because a tithe is 10%. And here's the deal. Every one of us in this room lives on a percentage of our money. We live on a percentage of our income. Every one of us in this room. Here's the other thing. I bet most of us don't know what that percentage is. Uh, 100%? <laughs> oh, wait, no, I got a car payment. That I okay, 120%? 130%? Man, I'm living on 130%? I ought to write a book. 
Most of us don't know our percent. And, and here's the deal. Because this is meant to be a reminder to God's people that he is the giver of everything, what it does is it forces us to look at all that he has given us. What it really does is it makes us count our blessings. It makes us stop and take note of what God has done for us and how he has provided for us. And now he has given this job and skills and talents and abilities to be able to meet those needs. And so it is, it's about percentage. The way that you turn this whole thing upside down is percentage. Tax season's coming up. I know. Thank you for reminding me. (laughs) But have you ever done this? You get all your tax stuff together and you get your W-2s and everything like that and you put it all together and you go, wow, I made that? Where did it all go? Or am I the only one that's ever done that? You you come to the end and you look at all that and you go, whoa. Because most of us don't even know the percentage that we're living on. The reason God set this up to make it a priority, to make it a percentage, is that we would remember that it all comes from him. Remember, this is training towards generosity, and this is how you become a generous person. Now, I know, because here's the resistance part, okay? I know some people will say, but I can't afford that. I I can't afford that. If I got a raise, then maybe I could do it. Or I once had somebody say, you know what? If I win the lottery, the church is getting at least 10%. (laughs) I'm not sure how I'm supposed to pray about that one. (laughs) Because the truth is, the truth is, if you're not doing it now, it's not going to get any easier when you get more. In fact, statistically, statistically, people who make less give more as a percentage of their income. I read this not too long ago. Those who who make under $10,000 a year, on average, give 5.5% to charity in some way, shape, or form. Those who make $100,000 or more, the average is 2.9%. Statistically, the more we make, the more we spend, not the more we give. There's another pushback. That we sometimes get. Well, that's the law. That's the Old Testament. And, that, and, that, and that's legalism. And, and we're now living under grace. This is the new covenant. We're under grace. And I won't argue that with you at all. I won't argue with that. It's very true. Because tithing can become legalistic. It can be. It's not meant to be. But it can be that for you. So here's what I'm going to say. I, I am convinced my wife and I, it, it's at least 10%. Because <laughs> we just made that commitment. We made it a priority. Made it a percentage. And we do it. And I can't tell you how blessed my life is. And it's not all financial. Because we have our financial struggles too. <laughs> But, but, but here's the thing. He says, and let me go back to that a little bit. That whole idea of, if, if, well, that's legalism. And, and yes, it can be. But the idea is training towards generosity. 
And if you think it's only an Old Testament, an Old Testament concept, Jesus, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and the scribes, and he said this. He said, you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Now, what Jesus chastises them for is not because they're very meticulous in their 10% tithing. He chastises them because it's become legalistic to you and you've missed the point of it. And if ever he was going to change that whole thing, he would have just said, you ought to give yourself to the latter and forget about the former. Because he could have just said that. Now, that's why I'm convinced. But if you're not convinced, I'm just going to put it this way. Then you pick a percentage. You pick a percentage, but make it a priority and make it a percentage. And then the last one is that you give trusting in God's promises. Because, you see, this is not just about um, training us towards generosity. This is also an act of faith. When we decided in December to start the dollar club, we thought, what if nobody does it? (laughs) Now we're on the hook for 500 more dollars in our budget or more, you know. We did that in faith. We did that in faith as a church. Because that's what happens. And, and by the way, this is, the, this, is what, this is what God says. He says, test me in this. Now, this is the only place that I am aware of in Scripture. If you know of another one, tell me, because I have not been able to find it. This is the only place in Scripture where God actually says, test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. It's the only place I know. This is an incredible thing that he's doing. He's, it's like God is saying, I double dog dare you. Yeah. <laughs> or double goat dare you, or whatever it was back in those days. <laughs> he says, just, just, he says, don't even just... It's almost like he's saying, don't even just take me at my word. Actually try the experiment. Now, you might remember this if you're my age growing up. And, and I think they still do it from time to time. They, the, the 30-day challenge. Like companies will give free samples. I, I remember commercials. I think it was Tide. It was some laundry, laundry detergent you know, in, a, in a, a grocery store. And there'd be somebody there and say, hey, we want to take your Brand X you know, uh, detergent. He said, no, you can't take that, but we're going to replace it with this. Here's the 30-day challenge. You use this detergent for the next 30 days and see if your whites are not whiter, your blues are not bluer, you know, whatever, on and on. And, and companies have done that over and over again. My wife is insisting that I should take the Quaker Oats Heart Smart challenge because they say, if you do this, I like oatmeal, but 30 days straight of oatmeal. <laughs> but it's good for your cholesterol. And they said, try it, see if it doesn't change. Now, when they give these free samples and say, just do the 30-day challenge, that costs that company money. Why do they do that? Because they are convinced that the product that they are offering to you really will perform the way they say it will. It's a risk for them. But they believe in their product. And what God is saying is, do you believe in me? Try the experiment. Just get faithful. Make it a priority. Make it a percentage. And then just trust my promises. Now, let me say something about this. This is not a means to get rich. 
This is not a pyramid scheme. This is not multi-level marketing because some of this has been kind of twisted a little bit and some really bad theology is coming out of this. You can't outgive God and you bless God and he's going to bless you 10 times over. And while all those things are promises might be true, it's not so that you could be more wealthy. He will bless you so that you can in turn bless even more people because this is training in generosity. Make sense? See, that's what he's saying here. It's an act of faith. Gary Goldbrunson says it this way. It's not what you believe that counts. It's what you believe enough to do. So, when God says, return to me, this is what he's saying. If you will reverse the priorities in your life, and, and by the way, we're not just... In the weeks ahead, we're going to be talking more about this. It's not just about finances. This is about your time, your energy, and everything. Being generous in every area of your life. Today, we're talking finances, but the principle holds true. What God is saying is, return to me. You have been drifting in the opposite direction. If you will reorder your priorities when it comes to your finances, if you will reorder, in fact, this happens in any area of your life. If you reorder your priorities the way God says to do it, you will find that life works better. It's not perfect. It's not that you won't still have problems. It's not that you will not still encounter difficulties or be strained or or, or feel stress or pressure sometimes. That's not what he's saying. He is just saying is if you will move to me, you will find that I am moving to you. And that's what he's saying to the nation of Israel. If you will turn around, if you will make a move in my direction, because the truth of the matter is God had already been moving in their direction all along. He's the one who had provided the land for them. He is the one who had given them victory. He is the one who had made their crops bountiful. He is the one who had provided and cared for them. It's like God is saying, okay, I have been moving in your direction for a long, long time. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. And here's what I believe. If we will move more in God's direction, if we will trust Him, and take steps of generosity. He will enable us to do that. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Because when you give, needs are met. Your life is richer. And God is honored. And so here's what we're talking about on staff in leadership right now. How can we as a church, together as a family, move more towards generosity? Where are there ways that we can help plant churches, meet needs, partner with maybe other churches or other organizations, but how many ways can we as a church move forward in 2012 towards generous living? Because here's the thing, not only will all those needs be met, but if you can imagine if every church in America did this, how it would change the perception that people outside the church have of church. 
when they would see that we really do care and we really are involved and we really are serving and we really are giving and we really do mean this whole thing, how would that change the perception that people have of the church? Because the perception from people outside the church is not very good of us. And I don't pastor every other church. But we as a church are making that commitment. And we're doing it in faith. (laughs) That you're with us. Here's a decision my wife and I made. Because if this is all old hat to you and say, well, I'm already doing that. Maybe you just, it's become so much of a routine you don't even think about why you're doing it. Okay? Then up the ante. Here's what my wife and I decided a couple of months ago. We're going to increase at least 1%. To stretch us. To challenge us. To keep our heart moving in that direction. So my whole challenge to you this morning, and it's not my challenge, it's God's challenge. Will you take the challenge? You, you, you pick the percentage, but make it a priority off the top. Make it regular percentage, not, you know, because you could say, well, okay, this, this month it's 10%. Next month it's 2%. <laughs> March, maybe we'll go 5%. No, same percentage. And just see if God will not move and work in your life in ways that you've never experienced before. We're doing it together as a church. Leadership team, we're doing it together. And we're inviting our church, not just in giving to the church, but getting out into our community. Inviting you. Take the challenge. Bow your heads with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.